Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back to another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. We are back, finally, actually talking about the show, about episodes of The Facts of Life. Hope you all enjoyed the betwixt-isodes that we did to sort of carry you over while I took a much-needed break and I was able to record some shows ahead and bank them, and now the holidays will be a little less stressful. And uh, I appreciate you guys listening and sticking with it. And uh, I believe your patience is now about to be repaid tenfold, if not ten kabillionfold. Because this week, Matthew and I were able to secure arguably our most famous guest to date. This is actor Paul Vogt. If you don't know Paul Vogt, you do know Paul Vogt. When you see him, if you look at a photo of him, you're going to be like, oh yeah, that guy, I've seen him and stuff. Uh, He's probably best known for the three years he spent on Mad TV. Previous to that, he had been on the rerun show where he did an impression of Charlotte Ray as Mrs. Garrett. And and honestly, in in some uh, respect, my impression of Charlotte Ray is kind of doing his. It's like my version of his version of her. But anyway, now I hadn't met Paul before this. We have a lot of Orlando connections because he used to work at Streetmosphere, Citizens of Hollywood, uh, before I was there. And so we have a lot of mutual friends. And uh, his twin brother, Peter Allen Vogt, when they were in town, uh, way back in the 90s, I used to write the film reviews for the local gay paper, The Watermark, and Peter was the theater critic. So our paths crossed many times, but somehow I always missed Paul. And uh, oh my God, I'm so happy that now, finally, after all these years, decades actually, that uh, now I can actually count Paul as my friend as well as Peter. Now, some stuff before we actually get started. I'm sure you noticed on the 1st of November, Pluto TV, which had teased us with eight of the nine seasons available streaming of The Facts of Life, nothing now. Not even one season, not even rotating something in and rotating something out. So Pluto TV is now no longer an option, at least at the moment. Who knows, December 1st, that could change. We're basically in a check back each month situation. So that's uh, all we're going to do. Thank God we have Daily Motion, huh? So this week, we're going to be discussing Season 8, Episode 1, called Out of Peekskill, Part 1, which had an original air date of September 27th, 1986. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Paul Vote. So welcome to the show, star of stage, screen, and every other medium you can possibly conceive. Enough about me, it's Paul. It's Paul Vote. Matthew, it's so nice to see you. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your talent. And 
Uh, it has been somewhat of a dream from the very beginning to have you on this show because uh, I, I do want to discuss your career a little bit later. As we should always, much later. As much later. <laughs> yeah, later. But before we actually start discussing this episode, um, the reason I wanted you on the show is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is my perception that the rerun show is what really put you on the map as a TV actor, and specifically your Mrs. Garrett interpretation and your impression of Charlotte Ray. Is there any truth in my brain? I, I, I guess I would have to say yes, because I was doing, I was actually working at Universal in Los Angeles doing their special effects show, which is, mm -hmm. I don't think we have it out in Orlando. You do not. You were working with my friend, Martin. Martin Kunz and I, very good friends. Yes, of course. Yes. And so um, I was doing uh, Happy Days the Musical for Gary Marshall. Oh. And I was playing one of the Malachi brothers. They had... <laughs> That was the episode they were doing was the Malachi brothers. And I was the dumb one. And then they had the tall, good looking guy. And so David Salzman, who was uh, in, he ran Matt TV was his show. He was doing the rerun show. He came and saw the show and thought I was funny. And I improvised during the show when he was like, wow, that's pretty great. So he asked me to audition. And what they did is they just gave us a bunch of scripts from the different sitcoms. And so I was trying to figure out an impression because I didn't really do impressions, but I sat in a room and my husband was in the other room and I just started doing Charlotte Ray singing Oh Holy Night from the Christmas episode. Oh, oh my God. I like listened to her and I was like, Oh Holy Night. That's not... And he went, was that you or was that her? And I said, that was me. And he goes, you, that, you have to do that. So I started, it just sort of made sense and landed in my voice. And I just started looking at the script. So when I went to the audition, they had me do Charlotte Ray. And then none of the other characters from the seventies, he had me do my character from happy days because he was like the stupid biker guy. So I'm doing this guy and then I'm doing Charlotte. And so they were like hired. And then wow. when we, we actually did the episode with her. We, the first one we did was different strokes. And the idea was that we had to do everything word for word, the way it was written, but we could do different intentions. So I kept adding all this sexual stuff. Like there's a scene where I'm like rolling dough and I make it look like, a, let's call it a toy, shall we? You can use any kind of language you want. We'll, we'll drop a C-bomb probably before the, the thing oh, is okay. over, just FYI. Oh, good to know. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, watching her, like a lot of the craziest things I did were actually just things she did. I was mm -hmm. just like, uh, when I came down the stairs on the birthday, the one episode we do of Facts on Life, and she's like, whose birthday is it? Mine! And stuff. That was like totally her. Like she made the craziest choices. I was going to say, I remember seeing you um, when they brought you onto the Big Gay Sketch Show to do her again for their Facts of Life spoof. You did that line of, Cousin Jerry is back in town and you did the punch move. Yeah. And I remember thinking that is her. He's, oh my God. This is she, there, I mean, it's one of those things like the source material is so full. You just watch her and she gives you so much crazy stuff to do. Mm -hmm. Like even the way she backed up out of the room and she's like, I'm going to go now. And you're like, <laughs> what is happening? What? But it was crazy thing because they did me up as her. 
And I went out, we did in front of a live audience and the audience went insane. I came down the stairs, the audience started clapping and all the executives were like, what's going on? Like all of a sudden, every NBC executive that was there, then I was like taken off the stage and I was put in a chair and surrounded by these people. And they're all like, too pretty, mess up the hair, blah, 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 blah. And they were like, they're like, there's something here. This is something here. And I was like, what's happening? And they're like, you're too attractive. Uh, we got to, she's a little more dowdy. Blah, 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 blah. And they were, and then we went out and we, and we did it. And it, yeah, it was weird. It hit. I made a lot of people were like, oh, you're the guy. Like a lot yeah. of people say, oh, you're that guy that played Mrs. Garrett. I'm like, sure. And <laughs> that think. led to yeah. Mad TV. Yeah, because, so yeah. And I got to, um, because David Salzman was rerun mm -hmm. show and Mad TV, Will Sasso was leaving. They were like, would you like to come on? And so I had a nice meeting with them and said, yeah, but I want to come on as a full cast member. Cause usually they give you four episodes to try to get it right. And I'm like, that's not going to work for me. Cause I don't, I didn't work at a second city. Like I didn't have characters all built up. I was like, I can do characters, I can improvise and I can make any script work, but I'm not coming to you with like a trunk full of characters. Oh. It's gonna take me a few episodes for the audience to want, you know, you know, to click in. So luckily, you know, it worked out and I did three years and cause I had an out in my contract. And so that worked out and then I ended up doing Edna and the Broadway, a different mm -hmm. Edna. <laughs> So, and that is funny to to note that 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 is the model now is that uh, for the better part of the last couple of decades, uh, SNL and when it was running Mad TV, they would always scout the the second cities, the groundlings, and all that. Okay. And it was kind of expected that you brought your characters. It was kind of like the actors had to have already done so much work before they would even be able to get into the audition room. Yeah, Michael McDonald doing Stewart, he was doing it at the Groundlings for 10 years before he did it at- Oh, geez. On Mad TV. And then he did it for, what, 10 or 14 years there. And I think <laughs> yeah. the same wig and it was the same pair of sneakers <laughs> that he had the whole time. Man. But Paul, what I found, what I loved about you on Mad TV was I always thought you were like, you were like the Lorraine Newman of that show, <laughs> if I may. Because you know oh, you didn't you didn't really come with characters all bogged down with talent, you know. <laughs> no, I would just suck it out of other people and use it when I needed it. Uh, how you got through those scenes with the wonderful Mo? I don't. I will never know. Well, you know, we were we did Street Mo together. We opened yeah. up Disney here, and that's where we met and we clicked. There were we did the the everything truck or the truck you know, the public workers, we were the everything truck. And the idea was that we were supposed to play public workers, cops, and a movie crew in the day. We were the only ones in the street mode group that could change character in the day. And there were six of us they hired, but two of the guys, they were like, mm, they're just not clicking. So they put them back in the main group. And it was me, my twin brother, Peter, Mo, and our friend, Joe Wesson. And the four of us clicked. We're still delightful, you know, tight to this day, we're still pals. So um, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous and fun then. So yeah, to, to end up on Mad TV was ridiculous. And then Michael McDonald, I was like a pet to him. So he, as much as he could, would try to destroy me. 
Whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. frequently succeeded destroying Mo. Yeah. You have, there's so yeah. much of that caught on camera yeah. of Mo losing it. And uh, Joe Wesson was, uh, we, our time overlapped, Matthew and I, we were in oh, the same yeah. trailer as, as Joe Wesson. He was one right. of the truck boys when they were now completely in a different place than the he's, 1940s movie people. Yeah. He's one of the most, I mean, there's a lot of great people that have come through, but he could go out there and entertain 400 people and not open his mouth. Like mm -hmm. his, his skill in clowning or improv or acting, it's, yeah. I'll always be a hyper fan. I, mm -hmm. I delight. Yeah. Delight. No, he was. He's awesome. It's it's that it's the clown training. We've I've had others on. It's like the the silent comedy ringling clowns. Those people are a force of nature. For, yeah. For the bad rep that clowns get and how they're <laughs> by the out the the general public dismisses them as this lower rung in the show business yeah. ladder it's like uh uh clowns can fucking do so many things that that we can't do they just need to stop killing people and drinking their blood <laughs> it's so That's true. Right. Clown. and i mean let's not laugh let's not act like they're all olivier for christ's sake i mean <laughs> is, i'm just saying they... some of them we want to punch in the fucking face <laughs> ronald mcdonald i think has a an emmy i'm pretty sure ronald mcdonald won an emmy does he should for best hair but I can't believe you were only on Mad TV for three years. I would have said a decade. I would have laid money that he had to have been there for, uh, you know, I know it was only on for what, 14, 14 years, the whole they show. Did 14, yeah, the last few years sort of got weird. And mm, they were yeah. like, they went from like, when I was on it, we were doing 22 to 23 episodes and then it dropped. Like yeah. after I left, it literally dropped down, I think, to 10 or 14. And then it, it got weird. It, it got weird. But. Yeah. Well, Paul, on this podcast, we are now at episode 164. I haven't had that many guests. There have been many repeats, but it has become somewhat of an automatic occurrence that as we talk about the episodes and when Mrs. Garrett would say something, uh, I do it all the time. But the guests also would say, well, then she comes in and says that weird thing of give me broccoli or give me death. Yeah. And what I grew to do was say, I do my bad Mrs. Garrett impression and you as my guest are welcome to do your bad Mrs. Garrett impression if you are so inspired. But at this point, I now bow to the master. I love having already heard it and I can't wait to hear more of it if you are so inspired. And uh, this is such a freaking thrill beyond belief. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So before we get into the nuts and bolts of the show, did you even watch the show? Like, did you have familiarity? Did you grow up with it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was a kid of the 80s, so I watched all the sitcoms and mm -hmm. I watched it. And it's funny. It's when I know I watched probably every episode. There's a few that stick in my head. Like, you know, the Natalie having her virginity. Um, Yes. One with Tootie uh, and something about her roller skates. I don't know. The, and I remember like George Clooney. I remember the early ones with like when there were like six or seven girls and all of a sudden they were all gone the next, you know. Yep. We lost Molly four. Ring, Molly Ringwald. and Including her. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so yeah, I, I watched it every week as a 
you know, I just, it's funny because when I watched these two episodes, I was like, oh, I think I probably dropped out after Mrs. Garrett left because I, I remember Cloris Leachman coming on. I remember her in a few episodes and I remember Cousin Oliver or yep. Andy or whatever you want to call and Cousin <laughs> Whenever they add a little oh. boy to a show, they Cousin Oliver it. Yeah, but he's like, good. We mm-hmm. like Andy. We think it, he doesn't you? have much to do this week. But Andy, I mean, Mackenzie Aston, son of John Aston and Patty Duke. <laughs> He's got some chops and we, we find we enjoy him more than the, the, the rest of the show in some cases. And then he gets adopted by her. It, anyway, that's in the future. Yeah, so. that's, that's all the crazy 80s uh, sitcom stuff. Spoiler uh, alert, everybody. <laughs> and then they all die in that horrible fire. Remember the horrible fire where they all died? Oh yeah, totally. Uh, it really, I mean, this is such an obnoxious statement. Um, Gary Marshall once told me like they have to go in every season and pitch their shows and say what they're going to do different so the network is still interested in it which is I'm oh, sure really? why Andy popped up and you know um, Cloris Leitrin and stuff and he had said that he was sitting there in in his pitch and before them was the Brady Bunch people and they were like Greg's going to live above the garage and they left and then Gary went in and said so Fonzie's going to live above the garage <laughs> <laughs> and they were like great so whenever hey. I see Things like that, I'm always thinking somebody was at a pitch meeting and they're like, uh, we're going to add this kid. Yeah, and he's she's going to adopt him. He's, he's a boy and eventually yeah. he'll play a big part. Yeah, well, uh, I wondered if there was going to be a little plot twist here where you with your famous and legendary impression of Mrs. Garrett, I thought, wouldn't it be weird if you said, nope, never saw it, never saw an episode. I was flying by the seat of my pants. I don't even know who you're talking about. Don't yeah. know. <laughs> But uh, so that is great. Uh, now we move on to the portion of the show, Paul, where we put our guest on the spot and ask if you would please provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the episode overall in similar to what you might see in a TV guy, just really brief. And uh, there, go. So, but both, so both parts? Uh, let's do part one and then I'll do it to you again. <laughs> giggity uh okay. when we get to the second part all right um in tonight's episode natalie tries to write a article about something close to her life and we learn about mrs garrett leaving for her boyfriend that she made love to in the peace corps it turns out he's a doctor and he's going back to, she's gonna go with him. Well, is she? Yes. No? Yes. No? Yes. <laughs> and there it is. That is that is literally what happens. Those improv skills really come through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I have to, I, I'm in my, my admiration society for you, Paul, is just <laughs> through the roof right now. I can't wow. tell you. I used a lot of different words. <laughs> that's, that's the trick. <laughs> well, so this is the premiere of season eight. It is a new season, a new show. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, changes and things going on. First of all, that theme song starts. And where is Charlotte Ray? It's Cloris Leachman already. Clips of her there in the space participating in the show. And there is a sense of what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> But um, we quickly see at the very beginning credits, 
Special Appearance by Charlotte Ray. So this is um, uh, her send-off episodal episodes. It was actually broadcast as an hour-long show in its original run. It was not separated into two parts like in syndication. And, uh, and honest to God, I think between the two parts, I think I cried three times. You did? Yeah. Did you, get, did you find this at all touching? No. <laughs> no, it's crazy. Maybe because <laughs> time is bad. It's crazy what happens. I mean, literally a cliffhanger, literally. L literally. <laughs> a cliffhanger with people that would never be in a situation like that. Oh, like, fuck no. <laughs> and what's Joe wearing? What happened to Joe? Like, why? why we have stories. We, we know what happened to Joe. We'll, we'll tell you. And why in, also in the credits, why is she and like, she's all separated her name. Like she gets special attention. She worked that out in season four to always be at the end with and Nancy McKeon as Joe. And I don't know, do you have any input on that? You're, you're in the biz, you're out there in the LA. What is the deal? Do you get more money or is it? It actually, it's funny because when I did Hairspray, when I took over for Harvey Firestein in Vegas, it had said starring Harvey Firestein and Dick Latessa. Mm -hmm. And then when I took over, I guess um, a couple of the people in the show were from soap operas and they had negotiated when Harvey left that they wanted to be in the starring credentials. So oh. all of a sudden there were like four people in the starring credentials. So to fix that, I guess my lawyer and my agents were like, well, then it's got to say, and also with, or, and also like, so I had a separate line on a separate thing that was supposed wow. to be a big fancy deal because somebody had already taken like the star billing. They had gotcha. negotiated it out, like, which makes no sense it should go to whoever's playing you know Edna and, and Tracy is who should have the starring yeah but um so I, I guess that that's why like it is a thing that you negotiate well, or is also, it it got that during the Grease thing when people were like oh my god are you seeing Grease starring Sally Struthers she's playing the fucking principal <laughs> but she's the money that people are gonna like you're also trying to put the people that are gonna pay so they're the money. Like people are gonna pay to see Sally Struthers as opposed to, you know, Jill no one who's playing Sandy. Yeah. So you put your money person, hopefully your money person's like in the starring thing. And also she was breaking out, David. She did the wonderful high school USA. She was oh. dating, she was pounding the pavement with the wonderful um, Alex P. Keaton, who- True. They were a thing. To answer your question, Paul, we don't know. I mean, Nancy McKeon had been doing some stuff and, you know, appearing on a game show or whatever. You know, I, we, we don't know. It wasn't like it wasn't like Michael J. Fox on Family Ties suddenly back to the fucking future happens. That's right. Yeah, it, it was not anything of that. So I, I really I can't I can't answer the question. I'm, uh, like, I'm looking at where I am. That's about you also wonder if. Um, if it's just a thing of, I want a raise, you can't have a raise. I want something done with my billing. So yeah. it's the thing at the end of even the Mary Tyler Moore show, when they roll the actors images with their credit below them, it always said co-starring Ed Asner. Oh. Co-starring, not just, he's not a supporting player. He's co-starring. And then um, 
then it would list some others. And then I think it would say also starring Betty White and then special guest appearance by Cloris Leachman. Like even, even back in 1970, there was clearly some type of a push and pull between the money people, the artistic people and the agents with, you know, well, if it isn't gonna be money or if it's partially money, we also need something to do to, to make our client stand out from the rest. Right, exactly. I'm looking at her at the IMDb. She did do an after school special. I remember she did something that like made her more of an actress than the others. Well, Maybe later that. she did that TV movie with Valerie Harper about uh, a daughter, teenage daughter with schizophrenia. That came right. after, I think, or yeah, it, it was right it, after, after, like, or it was right about now, like 86, 87, when that was happening. It was but. also before the wonderful Lifetime Television for Women movie, the, the Tracy Thurber story, where she gets the shit beat out of her. <laughs> Oh, is that? Yeah, A Cry for Help, the Tracy Thurman story. Mm -hmm. That was 89. Yes. So, so speaking of the opening credits, uh, this episode was written by Michael. I didn't even say what we're doing here. Jesus. Season eight, episode one called Out of Peekskill, part one, original air date, September 27th of 1986. And it was written by Michael Moorer and Paul Haggis. And uh, yes, that Paul Haggis, I don't know if that surprised you, Paul Vote, to see his name attached to the show. I, I saw it a lot. Why, why do I know the name? He won the Oscar for the screenplay for Million Dollar Baby. Oh. And then the following year, he won the Oscar for writing and directing Crash. Oh, <laughs> I'm sitting there seeing the name and I knew it looked familiar, but I never would have put it there. Yeah. He, he was heavily involved. He was one of the main producers and continues on through the end of the series. Um, now, he's written several shows before this. Michael Moorer has written a couple of episodes before. Uh, one of them was Come Back to the Truck Stop, Natalie Green, Natalie Green. And it's where Natalie's in a truck stop writing a story and around her all the things are happening and all that. And then he also did an episode called The Candidate, which was this bizarre fucked up episode where Blair has a kangaroo suit on and this illogical plot of a politician maybe in cahoots with a theme park to fuck over the town of Peekskill. Um, Matthew is smiling from ear to shining ear because he loves both of these episodes. Those are your favorites? It's my favorite. Charo's in the one, for Christ's sake. They get oh. Charo. Charo comes dancing through, come back to the truck stop, yes. Oh my God. But when we were talking about it, and what a fucking weird episode it was, looking up Michael Moorer's credits, primarily he writes for cartoons in the 70s and into the 80s, and we all went, oh, that makes sense. And that does carry over here because we do have a quote unquote, uh, dream sequence uh, nightmare type of a thing that is just as broad and cartoonish. And oh, Michael right. Moorer did not write the second half of this. Paul Haggis co-wrote it with someone else. So like his, it's so weird to think, oh my God, I'm actually, I'm getting to the point where I'm seeing the stamp of the writers <laughs> on a fucking 80s sitcom. I think I'm, I'm losing my mind here. Only a few more seasons left. Only a few more seasons. I left. know if I, yep. <laughs> Matthew's sad. 
Oh, uh, well. And the director was John Boab. He was the in-house director. He directed almost all of them last year. And I think this season he directs uh, the majority, if not all of them. So um, what else do we have? Other things of note in the theme song, not only do we have Cloris Leachman's title cards, we also have new ones for Lisa Huelcho and Mackenzie Aston. And with those, those are in the newer font that the show switched over to in the middle of last season. But the older pictures of Kim Fields, Mindy Cohn, and uh, Nancy McKeon, those are still the old ones from last season. And so they still have the old kind of Times Roman ugly font, uh, which eventually that will get changed out and corrected. But these are the important hard hitting facts we deal with on this pod call. <laughs> it's good, it's good. Yeah. So let's begin the microscopic dissection. The scene begins in the living room uh, at the dining table with Natalie on her uh, portable typewriter typing away. Um, and Natalie is writing. We've had the question come up multiple times, Paul. Is Natalie a good writer? She was writing, it was a clear and starry night when Derek, the CIA agent, bit me on the neck. Well, wasn't the first one something about a vampire, then it was the CIA agent, and then... It was all over the place, but in the past, we've had Natalie reading stuff that she's written where it starts with, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. But she's a writer. Yeah, exactly. And we've even had the, the worst cliche of all writing, it was a dark and stormy night. I'm pretty sure we, we heard her writing that at some point. So we have speculated like it's, it's a good thing she, she does make it work and does make a career out of this, but oof, not a lot of evidence to the- I enjoy the, um, how the typing does not match all oh, the words no. that she says at all. She's maybe typed four words, but she said like a paragraph. Yeah. So in this episode, we have two narrative devices. Uh, one of them is one that we have not used very often. It's a voiceover of the thoughts of the character. That is something they do rare to never. It has happened, but only in a few, few occasions. So with Natalie not knowing where to go with her story, she starts talking to herself. Come on, Natalie, you can do this. Uh, write what you know, write what you know. And that's what gets her into writing this story that she's about to tell us that becomes the episode. So now we are in a flashback. She's typing and telling us the story. So now we're in the living room, pretty much when the girls are just arriving back from summer vacation. We're in September, it's a new season. So we always can conveniently frame things with, oh, it's new school year, summer vacation. Forgetting that the girls are all partners, by the way, in the store. They, it's oh. like, okay so Where you just go yeah you're just abandoning your business by peace out uh edna hope you have fun hope it's not too busy we don't really have families anywhere to go to but <laughs> and the other thing is that blair and natalie live in manhattan joe lives in the bronx tootie is the one that lives the farthest away in dc it's like they are one singular train ride a one-hour train ride away from peekskill it's like so they act like every new season, this has happened before, where it's like they left in June at the end of the school year and they did not talk, they did not call, they did not write, they were dead to each other. Even the girls in beaches wrote each other for a few years. <laughs> God's sakes. CC Bloom. Um, 
so as they are just uh, BSing, saying, welcome, hey, we're back, what's going on? Uh, they note that Mrs. Garrett is not there. And so they go to Tootie, of course, the busybody nosy one who seems to always know things. And she fills them in that Mrs. Garrett has been seeing a man named Bruce. They met 20 years ago in the Peace Corps and they've been pretty inseparable. Now, the funny thing, meeting 20 years ago in the Peace Corps sounds so much like an out of left field, convenient thing for the writers to throw at us. Uh, guess what? They actually referred to Mrs. Garrett being in the Peace Corps in the interview show at the end of season six. She happens to toss off on the side where she says, uh, I was always independent after I raised, I'm gonna have to do her voice, Paul, I'm embarrassed to do this for you. <laughs> I was always independent after I raised my two sons. I did a lot of things. I drove a taxi. I was in the Peace Corps. After 20 years with my boys, it was nice having girls around the house. So, this has come up before. This is canon. This is not something new being thrown at us for the sake of this storyline. And that is very oddly good and right, <laughs> uncharacteristically well, what, for the show. What age is she at 20 years ago? Oh, Paul. Oh, God. It's time for David overanalyzes the girls' ages. <laughs> Oh, did I hit a nerve? Well, I love it. I love every minute of it. Matthew <laughs> seems to think it's laborious when I talk for 45 minutes about how they de-aged Tootie and Natalie one year back in season five. But um, you know what, Paul? I am not going to spend your time with this. Maybe we'll do this in a bumper or something. But if she was in the Peace Corps, they say 20 years, and then later somebody says it was over 20 years ago. So this is 1986. This would have her in the Peace Corps in the mid to late 60s. Uh, if it's a two-year commitment, maybe she went in in 66 and came back in 68. And 68 is a full decade before she started working as the maid at the Drummonds. Uh, and if you look at the ages of her kids, of when we think she might have gone to high school, I cannot believe I'm saying this. It kind of, for the most part, fits in the timeline oh. of Edna Garrett's life. All right. I, I can't believe it. I never would have imagined that they wouldn't have somehow fucked it up because they have in the past. Sometime after she was a registered nurse, after <laughs> she was a taxi driver, after she managed a restaurant. Some at some point she spent two years in the Peace Corps in the 60s. Sure, why not? Two why? very very sexy years in the Peace yeah, Corps. Apparently, damn. So, uh, um, but but I was so I'm skipping I'm skipping over all my notes about the ages because I have so much more uh, research in terms. Of, I'm like you know season one episode three they say this and I won't go there. So um, no sooner do they get through this. Mrs. Garrett and Bruce come into the uh, to the house, and Bruce is a familiar face. Robert Mandan. I love Robert Mandan. You remember him? Audience claps when he went. When he went. So, uh, but Robert Mandan is probably best remembered in the role of Chester Tate on Soap in the late seventies, yeah. and later he played the part of Jack Tripper's future father-in-law on Three's a Crowd the sequel series to Three's Company. 
And uh, he's a marvelous comedic actor. He, he was just magnificent on soap. And uh, he's, he's a great match for Charlotte Ray. I really like them as a couple. Yes, makes sense. Mm-hmm, yeah. So uh, we hear on the phone, Beverly Ann, Mrs. Garrett's sister, is lost in Connecticut in her Winnebago. So uh, they say drive west, since we're to the west. And she says, okay, she would do that first thing in the morning. Uh, we are already setting up Beverly Ann as flaky. And this is going to continue to plague the character and the show, this episode and the series and all that, because we, we're going to be talking a lot about what is she and what function did they plan and expect for her to serve when they make her so dotty and discombobulated and at times just stupid. <laughs> and uh, I have a completely separate rant about the name Beverly Ann. Oh. I, I have a big problem that they chose two names occupying four syllables in terms of everyone in the show calls her Beverly Ann. Beverly Ann, did, did you see Beverly Ann? I think Beverly Ann was uh, in Beverly Ann's car going to Beverly Ann's friend's house. You couldn't have called her Bev. You couldn't have saved all that. Who? She's not Mrs. B. Mrs. B, <laughs> Bradley's no. department store. But <laughs> anyhow, that's a whole separate rant that uh, will take up another 45 minutes if, if I allow myself and I, I shan't. So no sooner do the girls clear out of the room and Bruce asks Edna to marry him. And she says, yes. And comedically after she says, yes, he says, but before you do. <laughs> that's, big, that's that's, your, I think that was the first big laugh of the from it the was that's like the death becomes her when she drinks the potion and then Isabella Rossellini says now a warning yeah. and Meryl Streep says now a warning <laughs> love it I want to say though it, it, was, it seemed weird to me like they're all everything happens in that living room like why is Natalie writing in the living room go to your room and write like everything's in there and I love how they're like Mrs. Garrett's like you know this is Bruce I wanted to meet could you all just get out and they yeah. all go, and I think, who goes up the stairs? It's Joe and, is it Blair? And they have the same suitcase. Oh, do they? They carry the same suitcase, see? Oh. Why, why? And why is Joe dressed like that? Why is Joe dressed like a woman from Lane Bryant? Shoulder <laughs> pads and the way too big top. What happened to, when did she switch from the tomboy? I missed all that, but. I just thought it was weird the way they kicked him out of the room. Like, here's a man that I'm in love with, and I'm just, you're all just back and stuff. Now get out. Yeah. There's not, nowhere else to talk. There's yeah, not, we're going to, we're going to take, we need a moment alone. So we're going to go into the store, which clearly has nobody staffing it and no customers. <laughs> no customers. <laughs> you are so right. Absolutely right. Uh, but the warning that uh, Bruce poses to Edna is that he is planning to go back into the Peace Corps. Later, we learn that that is a two-year commitment. The ship sets sail in two weeks. And Edna says, whoa, fuck, dude. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, she says she'd love to, but she can't. I've, Paul, would you say her line for me? I've built a life here. I have a shop and I have my girls. Would you, would you honor us? Sorry. I'll try it. <clears throat> I've built a life here. I have my shop. I have my girls. <laughs> 
I she, bow she, to you, in, sir. In a lot of the episodes, <laughs> in a lot of the episodes, she would always play that like you know, oh, things are crazy. But this one, she did her more like you know, I'm trying so hard to win an Emmy for best dramatic actress. <laughs> And we've learned through rewatching the show as as adults, as as you know, beyond middle aged adults here. Honestly, her dramatic work is excellent when she does go there. It's it's excellent to the point where some of her comedic choices have more question marks around yes. them compared to her dramatic choices. We're like, damn it, she's she's a I think that that thing you hear about often where she's a dramatic actress but because she was short and stout and looked the way she looked they were like oh comedian put her in the funny roles right and uh, yeah no charlotte ray when, when she got into her her motherly when she gives the speeches to the girls later those are those are my cry moments i'm not sure i'm going to get through describing them to you guys without crying i'm just giving you a fair warning here <sighs> but after bruce leaves edna looks forward full on our town style well it was a wonderful dream and but did, did someone say dream as in we could have a dream sequence so we dissolved to mrs carrot asleep on the couch on the and couch because there's no other room in the house nope no bedrooms. We never see Mrs. Garrett's bedroom, nor do we ever see it when it's Beverly Inn's. Never she see it. down and is all of a sudden asleep on the, on the every room. Yeah. But I think the only thing we could justify is that it then dissolves to this bizarre dream nightmare sequence where it's her funeral and she's in the casket, which is in the same place and she's laying in the same position where the couch would be. Um, yeah, Joe she is. Could, she couldn't have laid like that in the bed. So, <laughs> yeah, we 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 needed this to be in the living room for yeah. continuity, of course, and and for we don't have to build another damn set. So Joe is playing the organ. We at one point halfway through the series decided Joe played the piano, and so at least they're continuing that through line. Um, but she's got sunglasses on, and the the cartoonishness of this whole thing is she's playing it like it's a baseball organ where somebody goes walk into the podium and you hear bum, 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 So goofy stuff. People are sitting there eating popcorn. Uh, 2D starts the eulogy. Blair shows up late in a red dress and a wide brimmed hat. Natalie is writing the obituary. And the, the meat of the matter is that uh, she's saying that Edna Garrett is dead and she was a woman of no importance. She never did anything interesting with her life. Uh, Bruce is in a pith helmet in his, uh, in his, uh, I guess, is that what Peace Corps people wear? <laughs> he looks like a Egyptian explorer from the 1920s or something. Yeah. Um, but then uh, Andy asks, how did she die anyway? And Blair casually tosses off, I killed her. She was boring me to death. And they're all, what? And the organ, da, da, da. And then Blair says, a jury of my peers will prove me innocent. And four mourners who are sitting behind our characters in these big black veils, in, in, in synchronization, stand up, pull off the veils, and it is four young, pretty, 20-something blonde girls in the same dress, wearing the same wide-brimmed hat, and they say, she is innocent. 
So Natalie says, funeral adjourned. They all stampede out of the room and Edna in true nightmare sequence is going, no, wait, I've did something with my life. I've done things. And that was a Michael Moorer special, ladies and gentlemen. We owe that to the author. Um, so back in the living room, Mrs. Garrett is crying out the same things. She's woken up from her nightmare. Oh, and interesting, weird, where she wakes up and the girls wake her up and they say, Mrs. Garrett, Mrs. Garrett, are you okay? Okay. Then it quickly goes back to Natalie typing. Oh. The, we go back from the flashback and she says, so Mrs. Garrett told us about her dream. And then we go to the other thing. It's like literally just, we don't need to rehash that shit. Let's just go. And we have to go to a commercial. Yeah, true. Very soon. So Mrs. Garrett tells them about Bruce's proposal and they're all happy. But then she says the Peace Corps thing and the girls are like, oh, well, that's too bad. You're not going to be able to do it. Fuck this. I don't know. As, as women in our in almost in our 20s, we really can't live without the elderly roommate. <laughs> so it's a shame. It's a shame you're not going to be able to do that, Mrs. Garrett. But then Mrs. Garrett does say she doesn't want to be gone that long, but she does add, I felt so good about myself when I was in the Peace Corps. I've made up my mind. I'm going to do it. And she leaves the room all happy. And no sooner does she leave and the girls are all like, well, don't ask us. I mean, hello, you don't get to make life decisions without checking to see if it's okay with us. Yeah, we just abandoned you for an entire summer. And now we're back demanding that you include us in your life. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the good thing is they do themselves say, I think we're being a little selfish here. You know, it's weird. She needs to do this. And they come around and finally they agree. Yeah, this is something she needs to do. Then as they talk about, it's hard to imagine life without Mrs. G. She's always been there for us. And then we get the montage of flashback clips. Oh, right with the cheesy 1980s keyboard music. They lay on the, the keyboard emotional music very heavy throughout the, the both parts here, but- Yes, it was a very special Facts of Life. Yes. So I won't rehash what the clips are, but we basically get a clip of her with each of the girls in a tender, nurturing, caring, motherly moment. And then, uh, and then it comes back to Natalie typing and uh, she looks at the camera. Natalie talks to us and says, a flashback within a flashback. I'm so brilliant, it scares me. And it was like, blah, 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 blah. Never before on this show in seven seasons have they ever broken the fourth wall oh. and talked to us, the audience. She does it throughout the episode a few times. And it, it, yeah, it is very, very weird. And my first thought was, why wasn't that just in voiceover? Why couldn't she have been saying that to herself? But they're going to use this device again later. Uh, but no sooner do we go back to the story with the girls in the living room, not the flashbacks. Mrs. Garrett returns. And how right and good is everything in the universe when she basically read the girls' minds and says, I realize I can't do this without consulting oh, you girls. At which point the girls are like, we've already processed it. Mrs. Garrett, you are good to go. We're happy for you. Godspeed. And that's where we go to commercial. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, commercial, let's cleanse our palate here a little bit with something uh, even possibly more amazing. This is the time during the show we'd like to talk to our guest, Paul, and talk to you about your career a little bit. 
Oh, no. We got talking earlier about some stuff, but at this point for this half of the episode, I'm going to ask you if you would give us the McDonald's tour that tells us where you were born and what the, the connective dots are that got you to Disney and eventually LA. So like where you were born, when did you get the acting bug? And uh, yeah, talk to us about yourself. Gosh, it's so boring. Um, <laughs> See, David, I have told you before, real talented, funny people. We don't like to talk about ourselves. We're sad clowns, sad. <laughs> We're just depressed people who need attention. No, I'll tell you. I was born in Buffalo, New York. Oh. And uh, having the twin brother. Mm -hmm. The wonderful Peter Allen Vote. I am friends with him. Yeah, he's all right. And he, um, <laughs> he's spare parts. I just keep him alive for a kidney or a liver. Or, I don't know, a new face. <laughs> so he, um, we, you know, we got a lot of attention. And our brother, there's 10 kids in our family. Holy Jesus shit. Christ. Where, Where did you eight, fall in that lineup? We are eight and nine. And then they had one more after us. So there were the three little kids were um, me and Peter and our sister, Lynn. So our older brothers and sisters were doing like plays and my one brother was in third grade and they needed twins for a play. So they pulled us out of kindergarten. So we were big, you know, stars in elementary mm -hmm. school way before anybody <laughs> knew. But uh, I don't know, we we always sort of performed and goofed around and and wanted to do that. and and high school we did theater and they picked musicals the boys from syracuse for our senior year which is a musical about twins um we both i went to buffalo state college he went to the university of buffalo both i went for to be an art teacher slash actor but dropped the art teaching thing and ended okay. up going after the acting thing and right after graduation i graduated like in uh, May, somebody, a friend of ours was working at Bush Gardens in Florida and said that Disney was opening a new park and they were looking for actors. They wanted improv character actors. And so me and my brother and a friend of ours drove to Cleveland. They were having an audition there, Ronnie Rodriguez and the gang. And we auditioned for them there and just did some monologues, like comic stuff, sang and did some improv. And they were like, we want you. And so then that, so that was 88. And then in 89, I think it was February of 89, we were brought down to work or here. Disney MGM Studios at, at the Disney time. Disney MGM Studios, starting the old Street Mo, which is now Citizens of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we did that. And, and how long were you there? I worked for the company for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, I did, I think, seven in Street Mo and then three over at Comedy Warehouse. Oh, yes. As a full time. So I was subbed at Comedy Warehouse. I subbed Hoopty Doo. Um, we did a lot of shows. Like I worked at every single one of the parks doing something at some point. But those are like the, the big ones. And then while we were here, there was a TV show called Maximum Bob that was looking for twins. This is the Barry Sonnenfeld. Barry Sonnenfeld. Who was yeah. the star of that one? Uh, Bo Bridges. That's right. Like the big star. And um, it was uh, Sam Robards, who is Jason Robards and Lo Lauren Bacall's son. Mm -hmm. And um, so they were like, it was a. So what happened is Barry Sonnenfeld wanted twins that were not actors. He wanted these swamp boys from the Everglades. And so um, 
they were trying to find them and trying to find them. And so we went down there and had a session with um, the casting woman down there. Uh, she's She was fantastic. She like said, I'm gonna film you guys, but you guys have to be really bad. And then we'll turn the camera off and pretend that we've worked for a little while and then turn it on again. Lori Wyman, Lori Wyman was a casting person. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. heard of her, yeah. Fantastic, she's fantastic. And so she, um, so we did that. So we turned the camera on and we were bad. We turned the camera off and pretended a couple hours went back on, turned the camera on, we were better. So Barry Sonnenfeld got the tape and he said, I want those idiots, that's fantastic. And then Warner Brothers was nervous about hiring two morons, but Lori Wyman had also taped us doing all that. So she sent that tape and they're like, they're brilliant. So we had to be these idiots every time Barry Sonnenfeld showed up on set. Like he could never meet us. We had to be oh, stupid. He like, couldn't oh, know. oh my like, God, that's oh, crazy. Good to see you. And it was a two week shoot because he shot a pilot like it was a movie. And so at the second week started and we were walking to our trailer and Peter's smoking, I'm on my phone and he runs into us and he, he tells the hair and makeup people he's like i'm really worried i think the boys got their first paycheck and they've gone hollywood like <laughs> peter's smoking and the other one's on a phone and it's <laughs> so finally we had to break down and go look we're actors we're from our blah, blah. so we did that the show got picked up we filmed a bunch of episodes in miami and then when it aired we were like i think it's time to move to la we're gonna be on a tv show on abc so that's what took us out to la oh and the show ran for like eight or nine episodes and it was critics loved it, but the audience didn't run to it. And so it didn't go any further, but uh, yeah. well, cool. And again, we talked about your, the stuff you did on the rerun show on mad TV and all that. Yeah. And uh, next week, I want to talk more about your stage work. I got some questions and I'm going to start looking for some stories, but for now, let's get back to synopsizing part one. We are in the shop. We are uh, basically in the mode of making the wedding happen quickly. That's the big thing is that Blair is trying to get a marriage license. They're trying to plan uh, a wedding shower and the wedding itself. And it's, it's just insanity. It's like, you know, you don't have to plan a fucking wedding. You could just go down and get the license and say we're married. What's the, the only thing you could say is that um, somebody says, I think it's Natalie says, I don't think so. You're not going to run off and live in sin with the first do-gooder you meet. We've been waiting seven years to be your bridesmaids, which is very sweet, but be that as it may, girl, you have, you know, you, you don't have a lot of time. Did they though, did, did they meet this middle-aged woman who was their house mother? And did they think I'm going to be a bridesmaid at her wedding one day? Uh, I'm, I'm you. character before she got kicked out is that I, the thought she had <laughs> i don't know I, I i can't say i i could argue that point with you really i don't know yeah so the one thing that i missed in this is that during this scene mrs garrett comes in this is one of the weddings on weddings off it's on it's off at this one she comes in saying it's off because the ship sails tomorrow at 6 a.m so they have this is where the suddenly we got to kick up the beat. We only have hours now. They thought they had two weeks. So yet they swing into this mode and, and do it. And uh, as they all get to go to work, 
doing whatever it is they need to do for this. It does leave Joe and Mrs. Garrett alone. And we do have a lovely little moment where Joe struggles to find the words to say how much she's going to miss her. And Joe does come out finally with, I'm never going to forget everything you did for me. And I'm surprised there wasn't a flashback there to a Mrs. Garrett Joe moment, like the one where Joe went to the dance and the boy attacked her. So she came back in the pretty dress all disheveled season two. That would have been a nice thing to do there. But oh, well, we got other shit to do. We got to get this wedding planned. We got to get into the next scene. We are in the living room and Blair is on the phone with the city clerk trying to get the marriage license. It's after hours. And she's like, I don't care. Go and open it up. And then she says, her name is Mrs. Edna Garrett. And she has done so much for me, blah, 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 blah. Then the scene cuts away and it comes back and she goes, I got the wedding license. Yeah, I'm by like, bribing him. She's like, uh, you tell me, what do you oh, want? Yeah, how Cold much? hard right. cash. She's fucking bribing but a city many, employee. How did you, you don't have the license. You have to go and meet this man. Like, you don't have the license. That's not how you get a license. Yeah, I, I, in my brain, I thought, well, I think the inference is uh, we got the license set up. You got to get over there. You got 45 minutes kind of a thing. That's when he's going to meet. And that's when I have to, oh, and, I, and be sure to take the check I need to send you with to pay this fucker off. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's crazy. Joe and Tootie are helping Mrs. Garrett pack her suitcase. Um, Doesn't she have to get a blood test to get? The marriage license and everything too yes there's a lot you have to do you have what to is the to- purpose of a blood test to get a marriage license so the gays can't do it oh okay so they test it if it's got the aids in it they don't get to marry yes you can't marry oh wow um so here comes our first cry moment with the underscore of the music where mrs garrett thanks them for doing all this stuff for her <sighs> i don't know if i can get through it guys Oh, dear. Maybe. You know what, Paul? Maybe if I share my screen with you, could you read it? And that way I can just cry and not have to read and cry. Oh, my goodness. The cold read by Paul Vote on our very own podcast. I don't know if I can. You might cry because. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. And now a cold reading. Oh, God. By Paul Vote as Mrs. Garrett. All right. Let's see what happens. Girls, I just want you to know how important you've been to me. Every button I've sewed, every tear I've dried, every secret I've kept, every hour I've spent waiting or talking or listening was so important. And I hope you felt loved very much because you always were and you always will be. Thank you for that. Close, close. Oh. Damn it. They go for the heartstrings and that they won me. They got it. Even even with the cheesy 80s music underscore, I was like, I am living for this. <laughs> this is the cry we need, honestly, to say goodbye to Mrs. Garrett. This is this is what we need, really. Well, they tickle your balls quite a few times <laughs> I mean, in this episode. They're like they're milking the tear ducts, as it were. They're keeping you right on the edge and just milking those tear ducts and milking and milking and milking. And then when it just becomes a little too sappy, cliffhanger. Natalie breaks the fourth wall. 
action film. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? Oh, I, I closed out the file. What's the matter oh, no. with What's the matter with me? Oh, you gotta stop with the drugs and the sex and the people. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Paul, on, on the Big Gay Sketch Show, Tootie walks up to you as Mrs. Garrett with a porn. And you say, who brought this filth into the house? <laughs> and you never say the S. And I lost my fucking <laughs> mind. Oh. <laughs> because she always just she would drift off on certain words i don't know about that it's so sad <laughs> yeah oh. big a sketch show was ridiculous that was really funny uh, oh my god you were you were kind of brilliant in it and i'm living for it. I, i'm gonna post videos of all your shit of course oh on this uh thing so after David is reaching for the Kleenex and uh, blowing his nose because he's been crying so hard. Um, Natalie's at the typewriter again to remind us this is all being told in flashbacks. So she's like, you are cordially invited to blah, blah, blah. So now we're at the wedding. Well, gee, gee Paul, where does, where does the wedding take place? I think it's the living room. What? <laughs> the same set again? Budget cuts? In defense, in defense, this is very common. We've talked about this before, being a sitcom trope, very common for that to happen. How many family or high school reunions happened in the Golden Girls living room, for Christ's sake? <laughs> I mean, I really can't say anything because I actually got married in my living room. Uh-huh. It was just me and, and my husband and the guy marrying us. That was it. Mm -hmm. very secret and quiet well you had the press to worry about <laughs> <laughs> the penny saver and the the local public's ad flyer wanted to know what was happening you had watermark magazine <laughs> <laughs> beating down your door you had tmz just chomping at the bit for the big scoop on the, on the, on the tosca's wedding yeah, yes yeah. <laughs> TMZ Nobody is did. very different than DMZ. What, what is DMZ. DMZ? I would assume it's a very much the same thing. It's just they, they stand around and talk about people's driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> DMV. That's a DMV. It's, just a, it's a change of letters. It's a Sesame Street situation. <laughs> so uh, we have our guests arrive at the wedding. Now, this is an inside joke, Paul. These two elderly women, Ruth Gillette and Eve Smith, in the roles of Ruth and Eve, they have been on the show twice before. Oh. The first time we saw them on the show was when Edna was uh, being reunited with a guy she went to high school with and she broke his heart and they decide fairly spur of the moment to get married. And there's a wedding, whole big wedding planned in the living room and everything, but they decided the last minute to not go through with it. Uh, the episode was called Two Guys from Appleton, but it was, same thing. It was a last minute wedding. They put up a sign apparently at the supermarket and said, come to a wedding, free food. And these two old ladies showed up and somebody said, we should get those two fucking old ladies back. Oh, that's funny. I love it. They also were there when they opened over our heads. When they changed from Edna's Edibles to over our heads, they were there on the opening day as well. So this is their third appearance on this show. And it's like, they the are... episode, though, David, you're missing the whole p 
point of the joke is that these are um, Edna's dealers, actually. They are oh, yeah. her suppliers. And because when they we find that out in the episode where they switched over our heads because they come in and they go, we sure loved her quiche. <laughs> and we all know by then that Edna's Edibles was a drug front and she burned it to the ground because the feds were on to her and was planning to skip town. But the girls came back too early. So um, they're very upset that Edna is leaving because she's her but she's their best customer, I think. <laughs> well, they are there and they are literally the only guests at the wedding. Uh, and it's because uh, it's 1 a.m. and they were already up because of an all-night bingo somewhere. Right. Mrs. Garrett is now in her wedding dress, a beautiful bright blue original design by our close personal friend, Diana Eden, who was the costumer for the show. Uh, she is nervous. And of course, she's wondering, where is Beverly Ann? Where is my fucking flake sister who was in Jersey? We're in Peekskill, New York. She was in Jersey Two days ago, why the fuck is she not? What is wrong with her that she can't find her way around in this damn Winnebago? But thankfully, no sooner does she say, where is Beverly Ann? I can't do this without my sister here. Enter Cloris Leachman to applause. Genuine applause, not fake applause like they did for Conrad Bain in the uh, pilot of Different Strokes. Oh that God. fake shit where he walks into the room and pauses like, <laughs> and they had to insert the clap track. Um, so uh, yeah, a very different looking Cloris Leachman considering, you know, we know her as Phyllis Lindstrom. She's got a short sleeve tan shirt and blue shorts with suspenders, uh, kind of like, you know, rugged boots, a big bag over her shoulder. She definitely has that sort of, uh, camping frontiers woman of the 80s kind of a look going on. But uh, anyway, she comes in and finally, Cloris Leachman and Charlotte Ray reunited. They went to Northwestern together. They were roommates. And they also lived together in New York City in their early days, pounding the pavement. Did you know that? No, I did not. And their best friend, Paul Lind. Oh my God. The three of them, Cloris Leachman, Charlotte Ray, and Paul Lind, apparently they were like, they dominated the theater department at Northwestern in their time there. And oh. all of them went to New York to seek their fame and fortune together. And we're very, very, very close. So uh, quickly, Beverly Ann, of course, being fussy and being a little worry wart, as well as flaky person, her first things to Edna are, what are you doing? You don't know this man very long. Is this, is this rational, Edna? What, you know, you're marrying him so quickly. And Charlotte Ray, Edna assures her that this is what she wants. And she says, it's been going on a while, but she didn't want to bring it up because Beverly Ann was in the process of going through her divorce from her husband, Frank, which was a difficult divorce that was talked about last season, even before they had Cloris Leach. Frank mind. beat her? They make it seem like Frank beat the shit out of- No, he just, he, he, I think, I think fucked his secretary and I think ended up marrying her too. It was just, it was one of those where like, he cheated on me once and the marriage of 30 years was over. Well, because she said they never have sex. They, she said that later in the episode. Yeah, but then I think he, I think, I think he did just without her. Uh, I think the secretary's a guy. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, Gunther is what I would maybe speculate. Gunther. Euripides, perhaps. You're, you're making this way hotter than it is. The guy's played by Dick Van Patten later. So let's oh, oh just... that's right. Oh, I wow. forgot. Fuck, that's awful. Yes. <laughs> He's a furry. He gets into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You slept with him, too? Uh, wait a minute wait matthew you slept with dick van patten uh, i'll never forget i asked him what it was like on eight is enough and he said i'm not paying you to talk <laughs> i was going to ask you was eight enough mm, it's enough for me more like three so while joe is standing at the door helping to guide Beverly Ann, who had to move her Winnebago because it was in the way of the uh, minister arriving. Joe is in her uh, bridesmaid's dress and the bridesmaid's dresses are gorgeous, by the way. Or, or do you, uh, let me see, what did, what did you think of the bridesmaid's dresses, Paul? I thought that they looked like 80s bridesmaid's dresses, very pastel -y, mm -hmm. very flowy, very rayon. Mm-hmm. Matt Jersey is what it is. That's oh. why you get the drapes. It's Matt Jersey, uh, which which is a my, that was my porn name. Interesting. Back in the early nineties. Back in Jersey. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, but the thing that is of note is while Nancy McKeon is standing in the door, we have a full body shot of her, and we see she is wearing this beautiful, albeit nineteen eighties, means matronly for any girl of any yes. age. Uh, she has got on these short socks and these casual, like white tennis shoes. And it's like, wait, what the fuck is she wearing on her feet? And, and secondly, why is it in shot? Why are they showing it? What is happening? Well, we got the inside scoop, Paul. Oh. Because we connected with the woman who is the costume designer for this show and she's uh, given us some things. We were able to interview her about this show. Nancy McKeon refused, refused. <laughs> See, there's the face, the Matthew. As in, the, the, you know, the fitting went and she's like, I'm not gonna, even flat dress shoes, I, she refused. Oh. So Diana went to the producers and they went, what, that's ridiculous. They went to talk to her. They came back and said, yeah, she refuses. They told the network, the network went, that's ridiculous, we're gonna talk to her. And then the network, the network came back and said, yeah, she's uh, gonna wear the flat shoes with the socks. So um, just, just go ahead and do it. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, Paul, you have worked on a network show. I wanna know the balls that it took Nancy McKeon. Like when if me, I hear the networks coming in. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm gonna do what they say. You know what I mean? Yeah. So tell me, like, from someone who's been on a network show, how, what, how big are Nancy McKeon's balls, would you say, from that story? They're as big as her shoulder pads. <laughs> because if you're doing that, you feel like you have the power. Like, if you're, you know, you're like, I'm not doing it. My character wouldn't do it. I'm not doing it. Why are we talking about it? Yeah. You know, so... That's she's not in, she's not afraid of getting what are they going to kick me off the show? Yeah, it's been eight years and they need me. I'm Joe Polnicek, like <laughs> you know, probably that type of attitude. Mm -hmm. Plus, I mean, Lisa Welchel sort of pulled like I'm not doing the the uh, 
you know, they wanted her, Blair to be the one that had sex first. And she's like, no, my religious belief. And they changed it all to Natalie. She said, I don't even want to be there. Yeah, she wasn't even in the episode. Yeah. So if she could do that, then Nancy McKee could sit there and go, I'm not wearing shoes. She wasn't in a whole episode. Yeah. And, and the thing is, if it was that big a deal to all of them, why didn't they shoot the, the tighter... They, there are multiple times there's a couch see in the way. Joe's feet where you <laughs> yeah. don't see any, I don't recall any, maybe because they didn't stick out to me. I could not tell you what the others had on their feet, but it seems like the network was like, okay, she wants to do that. She wants to shit on this costume. We're going to make sure everyone sees it. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I like, to be honest. There's so many times I'll go and I'll go for a fitting and they give you the pants and they give you shoes and you're like, can I just wear my own stuff? You know, and then when you watch a show, how often do you actually see below the waist, the legs, the feet? You don't really. It's very sure. rare in any sitcom or show that you see. Mm-hmm. It could all be puppets for all we know. Yeah. As someone with a foot fetish, I can vouch for that. Oh, poor <laughs> thing. Where you must have to travel to find good footwork. Good footwork. Good filmed footwork. <laughs> Feel bad for you. Well, the episode ends with uh, the news reported by Joe that in moving her Winnebago to repark it and reposition it, she has run over the minister. So at this point, it's like, uh, we think the wedding is off again. So then we go back to Natalie typing on the typewriter. And as we hear Natalie narrating, She says, Joe went to call the paramedics and I went for a cup of coffee. Then she gets up, turns to the camera and says, no, no, not in the story now. And then walks out and goes to the kitchen. That's our next time of us breaking the fourth wall. And that's where part one ends. So, oh my God, is this wedding going to happen or isn't it? I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. There's one thing I want to bring up that happened at the beginning of this episode. Please do, sir. They come back, uh, Edna and Bruce come back from a movie. The movie they saw was Oklahoma. Oh. He sits down and says, I just love Oklahoma. It reminds me of Africa. And that's how (laughs) we get into the discussion of Africa. And I was like, what? And I had to look it up because the movie Out of Africa came out in 1985. So they could have referenced Out of Africa instead of Oklahoma. Yeah. Right? Well, what company produced and released out of Africa? Yeah, was it a rival studio? God forbid they plug anyone else's. But but Oklahoma, no, you're totally right. You're totally right. Like, I, 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 I just thought it was a weird choice. Like, they were coming back from a movie. I just love Oklahoma. Like, oh, right. Oklahoma's still playing in the yeah. At the local Megaplex. (laughs) Some vintage art house. Don't worry. They've already been to the drive-in where they were playing everybody's favorite, whatever happened to baby Jane. On a Saturday night at the local drive-in. Yeah. It was the last night before they closed down and we're like, well, we think we know why they're not doing any business. Uh, (laughs) It's such a weird, and and then to equate Oklahoma with Africa, like, yeah. And I'm sorry, I just want to, when I watched that, I kept seeing that and kept thinking, what, Oklahoma equals Africa, what? <laughs> You're so Very right. Confusing. Very confusing. So at this point, we are going to stop 
on this cliffhanger. Oh my God, what is going to happen with Mrs. Garrett and Bruce? And we're going to say our goodbyes and uh, talk to you next week. So let's all say goodbye. 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 Oh, oh, there was a time Matthew and I would end by saying goodbye and thank you as Mrs. Garrett. So we would say goodbye. Goodbye and, and thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Come back and hear what happens. <laughs> oh my God, this hurts. Oh, this me. Hurts. And there you have it. That was Paul Vote. I mean, hilarious this man is incredible and and he's back next week he's he stuck around he did part one and two uh gave us his time i cannot thank him enough for that so there's a lot more fun to be had um what else there is oh you heard that we had a couple of little insider tidbit facts about the costumes well you know that we are in touch with diana eden who is the costume designer for seasons seven, eight, and nine of The Facts of Life. Well, we actually did a full interview with Diana regarding this episode and all of the interesting stories she had about the costuming. That is on our other podcast, TV Talkaholics, which is exclusively available through uh, our Patreon page. And if you've ever thought about uh, joining that and supporting the show financially, uh, becoming a member of the family, this is a great time because the interview is really, really cool. And uh, Diana will be back. She's got more stories that she wants to tell about some of the future episodes, and uh, we are totally here for it. And in addition to thanking Diana, we are always, always wanting to plug her book, her memoir about being a Broadway dancer, a Hollywood actress, and then later a costumer. It's called Stars in Their Underwear. Links to the book are down in the show notes. And uh, we want to shout it from every mountaintop that Matthew and I loved this book. And we are so thrilled to consider her a friend now and a valuable resource for this podcast. Before I leave you, we did drop a little interesting fact that I did want to fact check. And uh, it was when we talked about Mrs. Garrett and uh, Bruce getting married so quickly, Matthew did say, don't they need to have a blood test? And we were like, oh, that's right. Do you need a, is that still a thing? So I did Google it. That's not a thing anymore. They used to need blood tests in order to get married. And that was a public health measure to try and stop the spread of things like syphilis and gonorrhea and other sexually transmitted diseases. Because, you know, marriage was the time when adults would be starting to have sex. It would not be happening before. <laughs> That's an impossibility. So if we kind of act as a gatekeeper with the blood before people get married, then we can prevent the spread of venereal diseases. Though how they originally would have gotten to one of the spouses is kind of a <laughs> questionable miracle. But, oh, the earlier times when humans didn't understand our own humanity. But... Anyway, it has been slowly phased out over the last several decades, and uh, now you do not need a blood test to get married, I don't believe, anywhere in the United States anymore. So there it is. 
Next week, we're going to be doing Season 8, Episode 2, Out of Peekskill, Part 2. Paul will be back, and you can watch the episode ahead of time. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That's where you can also find videos of Paul's work and have a look at that. If you're not familiar with it, it is hilarious and awesome. Until then, thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.